Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show, New Zealand's aviation podcast series. If you have not already done so, please check out our extensive archive of past shows, either on the Wings Over Cambridge website or on iTunes. Please rate the show on iTunes and leave a review there. And please like our Facebook page. You can find us at www.facebook.com slash show. That's W-O-N-Z-S-H-O-W. You can rate and review the shows there on Facebook, or you can go to the Wings Over New Zealand Aviation Forum, where there's a whole little section just for the show. The Wings Over New Zealand show is brought to you in association with the Wings Over New Zealand Aviation Forum, New Zealand's number one aviation discussion forum online. There you'll find discussion on all aspects of New Zealand aviation, from history to current affairs and thousands of photos covering the Royal New Zealand Air Force, airlines, general aviation, warbird restorations, air show news, sport aviation, home building, gliding, aviation media and much, much more. You'll be in good company with other aviation enthusiasts, including pilots, engineers, warbird owners and restorers, historians and authors, modelers, aviation photographers and many others. Sign up to the Wings Over New Zealand community now. It's free and easy. Just Google Wings Over New Zealand and you'll find the forum. Hi, it's Matt Jolly from WarbirdRadio.com. Listen, I am thrilled to have Dave Homewood as part of our broadcast family and bring your stories, the stories of the RNZAF, heard right here on Wings Over New Zealand to our global audience. Thanks for listening and hope to hear from you sometime at WarbirdRadio.com. This is Extended, the ETOPS Aviation Podcast. Aviation-extended.co.uk And remember, there's no E at the beginning of Extended. Extended! I remember some men started prying and others started crying. Um, Partway through it, one guy got to his feet and started to run. I was scared and let that be no secret. Next thing they set the spando up there and they opened up and there's bloody trees, bits of trees flying. And... New Zealand tanks were over the other river and one of our men said to them, he said, don't start your tanks up. For five minutes we'll be out of it. Well, some silly bugger started his tank and the Germans put over a shell in right in the middle of the bridge. It was a bitterly cold morning and I was crouched down in this damn hole and it took me two days before I could stand up straight again. Here are the stories of New Zealanders in the Italian campaign in World War II, the Courage and Valor podcast, www.newzealandersatwar.com. The Wings Over New Zealand show would like to acknowledge the great support it's had from Fly DC3. You can fly back in time with Fly DC3 from Ardmore Airport, charter the DC3 Dakota and fly into the past. It's an experience you'll never forget. Fly DC3. Go to www.flydc3.co.nz. Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood.
Good morning, everybody. Please be seated where possible. But in fact, things have worked out well in the logistics. Welcome to the annual Bomber Command Remembrance Ceremony and Service. Thank you all for attending today. I call upon Ron Mayhill, holder of the Distinguished Flying Cross and President of the New Zealand Bomber Command Association, to address you. Ron. Distinguished guests, ladies and gentlemen, this is a great occasion. We welcome you all to the Bomber Command as the Ninth Bomber Command Commemorative Service, held each year close to the Queen's birthday weekend. In conjunction with the Auckland War Memorial Museum, this Hall of Memories is a very special place, a place of very private memories a place where the names and the faces of absent friends become very real. I'd like to thank Roy Clare, Director of the Museum. Of course, it's the Auckland War Memorial Museum, and that's important. We've got a wonderful partnership. It's taken a long time but it's, it's now wonderful. I must thank Peter Wheeler too, our Chief Executive. As you know, he does a tremendous amount, and with Carollo's help. Um, I had a ring on the telephone a couple of nights ago from our former president, Bunny Burrows. Uh, he just wants to greet the old vets and express his apologies he couldn't be here today. And most of all, I want to thank Jonathan. Jonathan Pote had done a tremendous job. I've been deluged with emails for the last month. I've been waiting through them. Uh, he, he's, he always works so very hard on our behalf. Thank you, Jonathan. Now I'd like to tell you something about a huge and ambitious project, the International Bomber Command Centre, the IBCC, being created to include all aspects of Bomber Command, not just about those who participated, but also those others who, men and women, in 60 countries who were affected by the bombing five and a half years. The IBCC occupies a commanding site on Cannock Hill, the southern of the two escarpments that provide the best views of the historic city of Lincoln. Now Lincolnshire was chosen as it was in the centre of Bomber Command operations. 
its 27 bases, earning it the title of the Bomber County. During the recent celebrations for the Queen's birthday, the 90th birthday, the memorial spire was chosen as one of the beacons that were lit across Britain. The spire, forged of cotton steel, represents two fragments of a Bomber Command Lancaster wing. It is the tallest war memorial in the UK. The wing thrusts up into the sky 31 metres, that's 102 feet, that's the wingspan of the Lancaster. At its base is 5 metres, that's 16 feet, the overall width of the wing, and through it is a direct view of the historic Great Cathedral of Lincoln on the northern hill. Around the spire are walls of remembrance at the moment engraved with the names of those who lost their lives in the squadrons of one and eight groups that operated in Lincolnshire. But a start's been made to remember the names of all the others who were lost in other squadrons and other groups that were spread across the rest of eastern England. 55,573 names in total. Beyond the memorial spire are the Peace Gardens of Reconciliation, honouring all who lost their lives in the bombing. The project, when completed, will present a comprehensive account of the war years and the long period of post-war reconstruction of the cities and the infrastructure, and including the voices of the many critics of the bombing. It will include the struggle of Bomber Command to gain recognition of its huge contribution to the defeat of Nazism, its great losses, the Exhibition Hall will feature works of art as well as permanent, temporary and touring displays. The Chadwick Centre, named after the designer of the iconic Lancaster, will contain digital archives preserving documents and mementos of Bomber Command held in museums and institutions throughout the world and privately owned uh, logbooks, photographs, diaries and letters. It will be an orchestra of voices with interviews from air crew, ground crew, support staff, and those in Britain who were affected by the massive influx of Air Force servicemen and women and their airfields and their aircraft and the people who went through the Blitz and the other bombing. There'll be the voices of the resistance movements, people of the occupied countries, and in the German cities, 
the German military forces in high command and the fierce debates within the British War Cabinet. All this without detracting from the unquestioned resolution of the air crews. The Visitor Centre will have a large reading and research library, a multimedia suite with classrooms and lecture hall, staffed with specialists to allow visitors access to international online services and state-of-art technology. There'll be comprehensive interactive displays with first-hand accounts of those who participated or witnessed the events or were affected by the many facets of the bombing. All this has been made possible by a money-raising campaign that has long been building up a trust fund. The full cooperation of Lincoln University has brought a wealth of experience, expertise, talent and energy to help create an unrivalled archive of international digital research. You know, what a pity so many of our veterans who over the years were sadly disillusioned by the reception of Bomber Command. It's a pity they won't be able to see the results of this. And I can remember more than one of my old friends saying in anguish, was it all in vain? The construction of the International Bomber Command Centre is well underway and much is now open to the public. And for photographs I've seen is truly amazing. Indeed, it's already arousing interest and as a magnificent place of learning and discussion and attraction, attractive venue for day trippers and even overseas tourists. I do hope that some of you people here today will have the pleasure of visiting the International Bomber Command Centre in the city of London. Thank you, Ron. I now call upon Roy Clare, Director of the Auckland War Memorial Museum, to whom we are in, have been indebted for many years in providing this magnificent and most appropriate setting. Roy. Kia ora good morning, and distinguished guests, ladies and gentlemen, I would just like to add my words of welcome to this extraordinary space, the World War II Hall of Memories, surrounded as we are by the witnesses, the names on these walls, more than 4,000 Aucklanders who made the ultimate sacrifice. And we acknowledge our forebears who had the wisdom and the foresight to create a memorial space like this after the awfulness of World War II so that we could go on and ensure that we live 
the truth of we will remember them. It's in that sense this morning of commemoration, of reflection, that we come together. And I just want to acknowledge those who are here today who were much closer to the action than many of us. We particularly pay you our respects for your contributions. And on behalf of uh, Dr. William Randall, who's here, the chairman of the Museum Trust Board, uh, members of the Trust Board who are here, uh, members of staff and the volunteers of the museum, uh, we bid you welcome. We are just guardians of a space, but we're also guardians of memory with you. We're guardians of the Taonga here in this museum, of the recollections of many peoples and the bringing together in a space such as the museum has of many cultures. We bid you a very warm welcome this morning. I want to acknowledge also uh, two people who are not here but who've made a major contribution to the memorial that we'll see and hear rededicated during the service. Uh, it was about five months ago that uh, Norman Taylor, member of the Bomber Command Association, uh, prodded me to say, you, the museum, haven't yet put the memorial in the right place. And I would like to acknowledge Norman for his tenacity and also all of you who were patient while the museum suffered corporate memory loss. We think we have now restored the memorial to its proper place. And on behalf of those who are no longer in the museum, but who didn't do it, I apologize sincerely. Because the members of the Bomber Command Association raised substantial sum of money for the memorial. But more importantly, there are many who knew about that memorial who aren't with us anymore. And so on behalf of us all, we recognize that the memorial is now in the right place. The rededication will affirm that. And I would like then to acknowledge the second name that I said I would, which is Sir Richard Taylor, Norman's father, who would have been here today, uh, but he's uh, overseas on business for Weta, and the business priority uh, comes first, of course. But he did create for us a short video, which I haven't seen yet. This is going to be the premiere of the video, video this morning, and I'm understanding that he has described for us in that video his design concept. So I look forward to seeing the premiere with you. So uh, Ron, I acknowledge you and Jonathan. Uh, Ron, every one of Jonathan's emails made sense. All right? And uh, without his organization, we would not be here so organized today. So Jonathan, I particularly acknowledge you. And the members of, uh, the, of, members of Parliament, of Auckland Council, of the services, uh, there are, I think, three services represented today, and we'll have the privilege of hearing uh, Rebecca Nelson of the Navy uh, doing our anthem today. So it's a, it's a very uh, important coming together 
of many different backgrounds to commemorate uh, an extraordinary episode in World War II and to hold true to the truth that we will remember them. Kora, thank you. Thank you, gentlemen. Today, we welcome members of the Canadian Armed Forces, the Armed Forces of the United States of America, the New Zealand Defence Forces, the Australian Defence Forces, and the Royal Air Force. Service personnel of the other allied countries of occupied Europe fought on despite being so far from home after 1940. During the Second World War, and in other conflicts both before and after, personnel of these forces and those of other nations paid an almost insufferable price of loss of life and permanent injury, both physical and mental, to preserve our freedom. We remember them all. Let us not forget the over 40,000 from the United Kingdom and 26,000 from America who died with the 8th US Army Air Force in Europe, partnering Bomber Command to bomb the Axis around the clock. Coastal Command too added to this force. Originally, until overruled by the highest authority, Coastal Command offered 250 aircraft for Arthur Harris for his first 1,000 bomber raid. Throughout the war, they lost nearly 6,000 of their men, pursuing their own war under conditions where the weather was even worse than that endured by Bomber Command. Some of those were, oddly, lost on bombing raids over Europe. All of these forces were supported by their ground crew, again a surprising number of whom were killed on active service. 1,500 in Bomber Command and 1,000 in Coastal Command. I could go on country by country, becoming increasing, increasingly inaccurate and irrelevant. But the point is that every country gave its maximum effort suffered greatly, but restored our freedom as independent nations to live together in peace and harmony. Today we have with us Alfred Naro MP, representing the Minister of Veterans Affairs, Chris Foss, and representing the Allied Nations, we have Master Air Crewman Andrew Burrows, of the Royal Air Force and the British High Commission, Group Captain Tim Walsh, the base commander at Fanuapai, Colonel Acton Kilby from the Canadian Armed Forces, Lieutenant Dan Brown from the United States Navy, Major Piero Potocci of Australia, and Rune, uh, and diplomatically Rune Van Rijn of the Netherlands, and Mr. Bogoslaw Nowak of the Republic of Poland, and Pat Johnson, President of the Returned and Servicemen's Association in Auckland. 
It is most pleasing to have both Canada and the United States represented for the first time. Many veterans have sent their heartfelt apologies, but simply cannot attend. I had hoped, indeed promised, to read out all their names, but the final number, as age and infirmity takes an ever tighter grip, makes that inappropriate. They are in our thoughts. Particularly poignant is Basil Williams. Basil has said he would come, but the Grim Reaper intervened and his funeral was earlier this week. He typifies those who we have lost, but to be positive, of over 4,000 Kiwis who returned from Bomber Command, over 100 are still alive and active in New Zealand. I now call upon the Reverend Stuart Height, Chaplain RNZAF Fenuapai, to conduct the service. Reverend Stuart. Thank you, Jonathan. This morning, in the presence of God, who is our strength and refuge, we come to remember those who served and died in Bomber Command during World War II. We give thanks to the Lord for those who came together from the Commonwealth, Europe and the UK to serve a common purpose. We remember with thanksgiving the men and women who served in Bomber Command, leaving their homes and families to which so many of them never returned. Many of them laid down their lives in the cause of justice, freedom and peace. And by their costly and sacrificial endeavour, peace was attained. Remember all those who still bear the scars of conflict in body, mind and spirit. And this morning we pray for the bereaved families and friends. We also pray for peace between the nations of Europe since the ending of World War II and for the extension of unity, concord and understanding across the continent. We pray for the realisation of peace in all those places where there is war and conflict. We pray for those who work for peace and we do so rejoicing in the power and the grace of Christ who is the Prince of Peace that swords can be beaten into plowshares and old and bitter enemies can yield up their hatred and find enduring friendship. In praise, thanksgiving, remembrance and hope, we pray for the coming of God's kingdom on earth. In the words of Jesus, and I ask you all to uh, say with me together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. A reading I have this morning is from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 28 to 31. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, 
the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even the youth grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those whose hope is in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. I ask you to join with me in the prayer and the responses there in bold letters. Lord, hear our prayer. Let us pray. Almighty God, from you alone comes wisdom and understanding. We humbly ask you to bless and inspire the hearts and minds of those who, rebear, re, those who bear the responsibility of government in every country, and the Queen and all those in authority under her. Give them the vision of your truth and righteousness, and guide them to work together for justice and peace. Lord, hear our prayer. Almighty God, your love enfolds us in both life and death. We thank you for the men and women who served in Bomber Command, for those who gave their lives or health, and for those who survived, for their families and all who supported them. We thank you for their sacrifice, their loyalty, their commitment, their courage and devotion to duty. Keep us through their example, always loyal in our service. In danger, calm. In conflict, bold. In resolve, undaunted. And in success, free of pride. Lord, hear our prayer. Almighty God, we thank you for those whose lives were defended by the service of Bomber Command and offered our debt of gratitude for their own lives and our liberty. We pray for all those who suffer as a result of war or conflict, for the injured, the wounded, the hurt, the bereaved, the homeless and the refugees, for the fearful and the oppressed, for the prisoner and the vulnerable, for those who seek to bring relief and protection. Lord, hear our prayer. Amen. Thank you, Reverend Stewart. I now call upon Alfred Naro, Member of Parliament, representing the Minister of Veterans, to address you. Greetings to everyone uh, this morning. Uh, it's an honour to be here on behalf of the Minister of uh, Veterans Affairs, the Honourable Craig Foss, and also too on behalf of the Government. Can I first by acknowledging and thank you Reverend Stuart Hyde uh, for leading us in prayer and for the importance of that reflection in which many times when we think about the memorial of our RAF bombers uh, in times of sacrifice and trauma, I imagine the prayers that were told and those reflections would have been absolutely important. Can I also acknowledge Ron Mayhill, the President of the New Zealand Bombers uh, Association, and also to Roy Clare, uh, the Director of the Auckland War Memorial Museum. 
Uh, can I acknowledge uh, all of those veterans and their families that are here uh, this morning? And also to those that are members of the Defence Force uh, and also to our Diplomatic Corps. Uh, we are gathered here today for two reasons. Uh, to honour the nearly 6,000 Royal New Zealand Air Force personnel who served with Bomber Command during the Second World War and to remember those air crew who made the ultimate sacrifice. I'd like to acknowledge the passing of your patron, Les Munro, who was truly a remarkable man. We will remember him. The Bomber Command's mission was to bomb targets in mainland Europe that were considered crucial to the German war effort. These targets were in Germany and Nazi-occupied territories such as the Netherlands and Denmark. The Bomber Command's operations contribute to the final victory in Europe and cost the lives of 55,000 aircrew, including almost 2,000 New Zealanders. In your newsletter of October last year, I read the story of Bert Shorty Burgess, whose service commended with the RNZAF in 1940. He underwent initial training at Levin, then as a navigator observer in Canada. He flew in a great variety of aircraft and it transpires that he served with three air forces, the Royal New Zealand Air Force, the Royal Air Force and the Royal Australian Air Force. He celebrated his 19th birthday in Canada, his 20th um, uh, in the United Kingdom and his 21st in the Middle East. His service may not be unique as I'm sure many uh, served in a similar fashion. His courage and his service is undeniable. But what I find noteworthy is that the story was compiled by his son, Martin Burgess, and that is, in a way, uh, why we are here today. As the veterans of Bomber Command pass, it is up to their children and their children, and those of us in our roles of responsibility, and as we gather and commemorate their legacy. We pay homage to these brave men because the liberty we now enjoy is the enduring legacy of their extraordinary sacrifice. The commemorative service we are holding today reaffirms our respect and our remembrance for the service and sacrifice of more than 70 years ago. They fought to uphold the values we hold dear and which helped shape who we are today as a nation. So our duty is clear. We will honour those who served. We will remember them. Those who lost, lost their lives, we shall not forget. Thank you, Mr. Naro. I now call upon Bogoslaw Novak, Honorary Consul of the Polish Republic, to say a few words. Dear members of the Bombers Command Association, distinguished guests, ladies and gentlemen, this is my third attendance on your annual service. Thank you for your kind invitation. Please allow me on the beginning to express my deepest condolences to the family, friends and colleagues of Basil Williams, one of the members of your association who passed away some days ago. I read about his remarkable life about his survival during the Second World War. Basil went through 
tough times as soldier and prisoner of war, being on the edge of his life several times. His 900 kilometers march with other POWs showed his toughness, stamina, and spirit to survive. He had a strong Kiwi character, and he was a lucky man, as he survived when many of his comrades did not. I was glad to read that last year he was awarded the French Legion of Honor. It is fantastic to see that other countries treat foreign soldiers and veterans like their own. Having said that, I would like to remind everyone of another Kiwi bloke who probably all of you heard of and many knew personally. George Califard was a pilot. He died in Wellington in 2001, almost 15 years ago. What he did during the Second World War deserves to be made into a Hollywood-style action movie, not a fiction one, but based on the real story. In summer 1944, as a 22-year-old pilot, he was sent in twin-engine Dakota plane without any weapons on board on a flight from Brindisi in Italy into occupied Poland. The mission was extremely difficult, almost suicidal. He was ordered to bring to the West detailed plans and parts of German V2 rocket. Polish Home Army managed to get those plans and parts for British and American allies. Another task for a young Kiwi pilot was to bring with him on the same flight five very important officials of the Polish underground government. The mission called Butterfly almost failed. After a long flight across occupied Europe, Califort landed in Poland where Polish resistance fighters were waiting for him. There was not much time to get to Polish, the, the Polish officials as well as the rocket parts on board the plane. And to make things worse, the plane became stuck in the mud. The Poles and Kiwi pilots struggled to get moving and Califort was close to making a decision to destroy the plane on his last attempt. Califort managed to take off. However, the mission was not yet over. During the several hours of continued flight, Califort managed to avoid enemy aircraft artillery fire as well as German Messerschmitts. He landed safely in Brindisi, exhausted but happy, and with his mission accomplished. For his heroic action, Poland awarded George Califort with the highest military decoration, the Cross Virtuti Militari. This is kind of Polish equivalent of Victoria Cross. This is a big reason 
as to why I believe this mission deserves to be immortalized on a big screen. Last year, Poland and New Zealand signed an agreement of cooperation in the field of cinematography. Both countries have excellent and award-winning directors, scriptwriters, and access to the most modern technology. Who knows? Maybe these miracle stories of Bill and George could be joint venture between the cinematographers of Poland and New Zealand, and maybe France also. Why not? Thank you for your attention, and God bless you all. Thank you, Bogoslaw. Poland, amongst many occupied countries, provided a great deal of assistance to the Royal Air Force, and there were many squadrons in both fighter command and bomber command. And the same is true of every other occupied country. France, Denmark, Belgium, Holland, Norway, and I'm sure I've forgotten some, all produced squadrons for the Royal Air Force, and in many cases carried those squadron numbers over into their post-war uh, air forces. But Canada alone, fortunate enough to not be occupied, produced enough aircrew to crew an entire group, six group bomber command in Yorkshire, flying Halifaxes. We always hear about the Lancaster, and I don't, do not wish to decry it, but the Halifax and the Stirling and others made a great contribution, and their crews must feel as highly valued as any other. Colonel Acton Kilby of Canada. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be here because today as we stand and think of this, these events, we forget the adventure that these young men and women undertook so long ago. To imagine that a young fellow would get on a boat in New Zealand, travel somewhere, get on a train, and arrive at a, a, what appeared to be abandoned railway station somewhere in the middle of Canada to learn how to fly, and within a year find himself part of an organization that had a 50-50 chance of surviving. We couldn't imagine sending our 18-year-olds today to do the same thing. But the will of this nation and many others resulted in Canada hosting what was the largest and has been the largest coalition effort of generating air forces in the history of man. Hundreds of thousands of crews came together, made friends that, made, that lasted a lifetime, learn to deliver their art, whether fighter, crew, bombers, or support trades, to include women who came from New Zealand and other countries to help ferry aircraft to Europe, that to free men for the task of undertaking the bombing. Canada was privileged to meet so many fine young Kiwis, to help them move forward, 
and to help us all in what was a huge endeavor to bring democracy and peace to the world. Canada is privileged to host and privileged to continue to have the, the opportunity to engage with veterans on a regular basis. Most recently in April, in London, we marked 76 years since the first bombing raid undertaken by the Royal New Zealand Air Force 75 Squadron. It's a privilege for me to be here today to spend time with you and to show Canada's appreciation for allowing us to be such good friends and to have helped so many years ago. It's worthwhile to remember the 75 Squadron uh, motto, Akeaki Kia Aha. Forever be strong. Uh, and thank you very much. Thank you, Colonel Kilby. And now, Group Captain Tim Walsh, Base Commander, Auckland. Tim. Uh, I'd like to begin this morning by acknowledging the veterans and their families that are gathered uh, to mark this occasion, and it is a privilege to be with you today. I'd also like to pass on the very best wishes of Air Vice Marshal Tony Davies, Chief of Air Force, who unfortunately couldn't join us here today. He sends his warmest wishes to all gathered. I have the very great fortune of being the base commander at RNZ Base Auckland, where we try every day to build on the foundation stones of the RNZF, laid by the service and sacrifice of men such as those who served in Bomber Command. We remain immensely proud of those who have gone before. While others have spoken of those who have served in Bomber Command, I'd like to take a few moments to talk about the future of the Royal New Zealand Air Force. Last week, we welcomed the Government's release of the Defence White Paper, providing the Government's commitment to service to the services in both the short and the long term. The White Paper sets out the Government's strategic outlook to 2040, but also lays our initial commitment to 2020 and provides a good understanding of the planning for the investment to 2035. From an Air Force perspective, the Government has given an undertaking to refresh both our strategic and tactical transport forces along with our Air Surveillance Force. Surveillance capability will be strengthened with the P3K2 Orion set to be replaced in the mid-20s. This will allow us to maintain our work in New Zealand's maritime zone, but also contribute to our important global role in global maritime security. Consideration for options to replace the well-proven C-130 Hercules our aircraft in the early 20s is also part of the planning, as is the replacement of the Boeing 757. All of these aircraft types are currently placed here in Auckland. The Defence White Paper clearly recognises the duty that the Defence Force has in protecting and advancing New Zealand's security interests, whether this is at home or overseas. As was the case during the years of Bomber Command, the RNZ remains an expeditionary force by nature, and this will continue into the future. Your Air Force continues to be a key contributor 
to furthering the security interests of New Zealand, whether this is conducting standalone tasks that protect our exclusive economic zone, being ready to, to respond to domestic situations, supporting jo joint operations or those of our coalition partners. The RNZF remains out there every day conducting military operations that contribute to all New Zealanders' security. This remains our raison d'etre. The Defence White Paper recognises this and provides for a continued bright future for all our forces in delivering for our country. The policy will ensure that the RNZF will continue to build on our proud history, of which Bomber Command was an early leader and key influencer. We will remember them. Thank you very much, Tim. I will now call upon the various representatives to lay their wreaths. There will be a time at the end of the ceremony for individuals to lay poppies and wreaths at the uh, memorial, but for the moment it is the representatives. And the first one will be Ron Mayhill, President of the New Zealand Bomber Command Association. Kevin? Thereafter, Kevin from Three Squadron Air Training Corps will pick up the wreaths in order uh, that they are on the table in the order of democracy for which the war was fought. Please recognise your wreath and place it. Major Piero Botocci of the Australian Defence Forces. Group Captain Tim Walsh of the Royal New Zealand Air Force. Colonel Acton Kilby of the Canadian Defence Forces. Bogoslaw Novak of the Republic of Poland. Master Aircrewman Andrew Burrows of the Royal Air Force and the British High Commission. Alfred Naro, Member of Parliament. Thank you, gentlemen. Maybe an unplanned interjection. We have heard that 55,000, 45% of the total in Bomber Command were killed. And yet that really does not paint a true picture because during 1943, the chances of surviving one tour were about one in 10 and of two tours, about one in 40. The figures just do not seem to add up, but they do. At the beginning of the war, there was a rush of people to join the services, Bomber Command included. In their case, two years training followed. And then from 1941-42 onwards, an ever-increasing avalanche of trained young men came to fly the aircraft, and trained ground crews came to service those aircraft as best they humanly could. And the numbers in Bomber Command increased dramatically. Many of the 45,000 who survived had in fact not been in Bomber Command for long, but they were accustomed to the thought that this was merely the first round. The second round was to be Tiger Force in the Far East, in the Pacific, for which virtually the whole of Bomber Command was slated. 
Indeed, Wally Halliwell, who is here today, serviced the Lancasters of Number 9 Squadron in India. They got that far before they were turned back. So that is how the numbers add up. Early on, chances were terrible. Later on, they improved. The percentages dropped, but the numbers were still huge. We honour them all. <coughs> and now I call upon the Reverend Stewart. time of reflection. I uh, have this morning an, uh, an excerpt from Gordon Stook's memoirs and it really sets the scene for what I want to, uh, what I want to say. He wrote, during 1943-44 raids by Bomber Command into Europe increased in frequency and intensity. At the same time, so did the effectiveness of the German defences. The inevitable result was an ever-increasing toll on the RAF aircraft and air crew. Losses sometimes as high as 90 bombers per raid, but generally 30 aircraft and 210 air crew lost each raid. Aircrew were required to carry out 30 raids to complete their tour before being rested. And during a tour, 900 aircraft would be lost, as there were about 750 attacking aircraft in each raid. Survival, it seems, was mathematically impossible. And Gordon wrote, how did aircrew maintain morale in the face of unacceptable odds. He said, maybe it was because we were all so young and with the optimism of youth, never believed it would happen to us. Infallible youth, overconfidence, pride. Well, maybe we just shut our minds to the reality when in that real and constant danger. He noted even under the most adverse circumstances, few were willing to dwell on the fact that we could lose our lives. Anyway, over enemy territory, we were too preoccupied to consider such things. But later, after the danger had passed, there may be a few nervous witticisms or two or possibly three fake bravados, but it all revealed the unexpressed fear and relief. In a sad paradoxical sort of a way, he noted, I suppose with sword in hand, we came to accept our own dire peril and the shock of mates getting the chop as part of life in those irrational and dispassionate days. And it was in that background that this prayer that's, read, that's uh, noted down here today, written by Flight Sergeant Hugh Brodie, 
was made. This was found in his belongings after he was killed on such a raid. And this is what he wrote in his prayer. And his prayer was almighty and all-present power. Short is the prayer I make to thee. I do not ask in battle hour for any shield to cover me. The vast unalterable way from which the stars do not depart may not be turned aside to stay the bullet flying to the heart. I ask no help to strike my foe. I seek no pity, victory here. The enemy I hate, I know, to thee is also dear. But this I pray, be at my side when death is drawing through the sky. Almighty God, who also died, teach me the way that I should die. That was written in the background of the mathematic, mathematically impossibility of survival that we've heard numbers about today. What they found at that time, and Flight Sergeant Brodie wrote about this, was that he could call on God the unchangeable. And in the reading this morning, Isaiah wrote about the Lord, wrote about what he is like, wrote about the fact that even when youth grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall, those who have their hope in the Lord will renew their strength. That's what Brody was writing about. Isaiah penned it way back there when, the, when uh, he was a prophet. And the same applies to us today. The hope that they had in God is the same hope that's available to all of us today. Thank you, Stuart. Hugh Brodie was a schoolteacher in Australia before the war. He was a member of the Royal Australian Air Force. Perhaps oddly, I now wish to mention the Battle of Kohima and Impal. On the borders of India and Burma, you will see the reason why, and then I will recite the epitaph, which I'm sure you will find familiar. But with the enemy forces conquering through Burma towards the northeast, northwest, and about to break through into the lowlands of India where they would capture infrastructure, supplies, and raw materials, and generally gain the advantage, they were stopped by a very small number of servicemen of army with support from the Air Force, people from England, from India, from Nepal. It was a case of a platoon against a regiment as for three days and nights they fought across the width of a tennis court until finally relief arrived and those who had held out could start the move back towards the southeast that was the beginning of the end. Inevitably their casualties were very high. And someone wrote, 
When you go home, tell them of us, for your tomorrow we gave our today. And I think that resonates well with Bomber Command as well as the entire armed forces. I now call upon Pat Johnson, President of the Auckland uh, Returned Servicemen's Association, to say Lawrence Bingham's ode. That will be followed by the last post and a minute's silence. They shall not grow old as we that are left grow old. Age shall not weary them, nor the years condemn. At the going down of the sun and in the morning, we will remember them. Lest we forget. Stuart Height will now lead a small party for a rededication of the New Zealand Bomber Command Memorial, which is in the adjacent alcove. The people concerned know who they are. I'm sorry that space is so limited. You should be able to see it televised in front of you, and afterwards, of course, everyone is welcome to go there and pay their respects. And in the meantime, a short video 
on the thoughts of the creator of this sculpture. Okay. 
now may God grant to the living peace, to the departed rest, to all people peace and concord, and to us and all his servants life everlasting. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be upon you and remain with you always. Amen. All veterans are now, and others are now most welcome to lay poppies at the memorial. Uh, and during that time, we will hear, listen to those in the sky and the Lancaster fly past. in the dark and listen. It's clear tonight, so they're flying high. Hundreds of them, thousands perhaps, riding the icy moonlight sky. Men, materials, bombs and maps, altimeters and guns and charts, coffee, sandwiches, fleece-lined boots, bones and muscles and minds and hearts. English saplings with English roots, deep in the earth they've left below. Lie in the dark and let them go. Lie in the dark and listen. Lie in the dark and listen. They're going over in waves and waves, high above villages, hills and streams, country churches and little graves and little citizens worried dreams. Very soon they will have reached the sea and far below them will lie the bays and coves and sands where they used to be taken for summer holidays. Lie in the dark and let them go. Lie in the dark and listen. Lie in the dark and listen. City magnates and steel contractors, factory workers and politicians, soft hysterical little actors, belly dancers, reserved musicians, safe in your warm civilian beds, count your profits and count your sheep. Life is flying above your heads. Just turn over and go to sleep. Lie in the dark and let them go. Theirs is a world you'll never know. Lie in the dark and listen. 
dedicated to the men and women of Great Britain and the British Empire who flew in the defence of freedom during World War II, in particular to the 125,000 young aircrew of Bomber Command, of whom 55,573 did not return. The official historian recorded, the pilots and crews of Bomber Command, those who held the controls of the bomber in their firm young hands, truly deserve a crown of bays. Night after night in darkness, bathed in silver or veiled with cloud, undeterred by the fury of guns and the new inventions of death, they rode the skies above Germany and paid without flinching the terrible price which war demands. Thank you everybody, thank you very much for coming today. The veterans and our representatives will be moving next door um, and in the meantime you are most welcome to lay further poppies, there are plenty, plenty here. Uh, my last comment is, last but one comment is that the new displays at the Bomber Command section of the Museum of Transport and Technology were finished with today in mind yesterday. You can still smell the glue, <laughs> but they are wonderfully revitalized and well worth a visit. And if you are here in Auckland just briefly, rather than living here, may I suggest you take the chance to go and see. I mentioned Basil Williams earlier on today. He died a few days ago. Basil took part in the, I suppose I have to say, infamous march from eastern Germany to the Elbe, trying to stay ahead of the Russian forces, trying successfully. The German guards leading the way, but the prisoners quite often carrying their <coughs> rifles because the whole idea was the survival of both. Basil acquired, that's probably not the right verb, Basil acquired a haversack with which to carry the meagre rations and anything else his group had. That haversack still exists and it's in the display at Motat today. Ernest Davenport is still alive but unable to be here. He spent three years in prisoner of war camp. If you want to know what a battle dress blouse top looks like after three years of continuous wear, 
his is there to tell you. And he still wore a neat uniform at the end of all that time. And finally, my name has been mentioned. Somebody has to be in the line of fire. But the help I have received from many, many other people is truly profound. And I thank you all. Good day. That was the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood.